0: gambling in Havana I took a little risk Send lawyers, guns, and money dead get me out of this ha! Welcome everyone to episode 46 of the Matt Jones Podcast It is that time again, it is draft time And you know, draft is I guess a little... A little over two weeks away, but the thing is, I'm going to be gone during the draft, and i got to do a draft podcast. If I don't, I'm going to be upset with myself. So why not to do a draft podcast? I'm going to bring on a couple people who know the draft better than anybody. Yes, Chad Ford of ESPN is our second guest. He's going to come on. We talked to him, actually recorded this a little while ago, so we talked to him about 30 minutes about all the players, etc., and I actually open it up with Fran Fraschilla, also VSPN, he does a lot of the international guys, so he can tell us a little bit about that. He's actually a very, it was a very interesting interview. So these two together, if you listen to it, you'll have everything you need to know about the draft, where the UK guys are going, uh, including Chad Ford. I asked him, hey, would have been better off if he had just come to Kentucky with Ben Simmons? And he answers that question as well. So should be a good episode, and it's the, I guess, I'm going to have episodes while I'm gone, I hope, although I'm not certain. But I hope I'm going to have at least one, maybe two episodes while we're gone uh, that'll be recorded as well, so you'll be able to uh, enjoy them uh, during my vacation. But before we start, let's get going with Jack Irwin. If you heard the episode with Tony, you heard me talking about it, and some of you have said, hey, Jack Irwin is exactly like, I love those shoes. Jack Irwin shoes are the best. They are nice, well-made shoes that you can get delivered to you at a reasonable price. It is The style is awesome, but more important is the craftsmanship. When you wear them, you're going to see they were handcrafted, and thus they are good. I got some Jack Irwin boat shoes, but no matter what, you want to try them. It's a family company. I had the Cooper boat shoe. You get boots, you can get whatever you want, but you will be impressed with the quality. It is not like the kind of shoes you can get, honestly, anywhere in Kentucky. If you go to jackirwin.com, they give you direct-to-consumer business model that allows them to not have the markups but still get high, high-quality shoes. Shoes of similar quality often cost two to three times as much in stores. It's Jack Irwin, E-R-W-I-N.com. and I promise you, if you go, you'll find something you like. Now, these are not, look, these are not shoes just to mess around with. These are nice. You can wear them out. They'll be part of your life, and you'll be happy with them. Jackerwin.com. To get the free shipping, you get free shipping if you use promo code MATT. Free shipping if you use a promo code Matt at jackirwin.com. Try them out. And If you're a woman listening, you want your guy not to wear grubby shoes, I promise you, Jack Irwin is the place for you. Check it out, J-A-C-K-E-R-W-I-N.com, promo code Matt. And with that, let's call up Fran Fraschilla. All right, now joining us on the phone to talk a little NBA draft from ESPN, Fran Fraschilla.
1: Fran, how are you, sir? Doing great, Matt. Glad to be on with you today.
0: Glad to do it. Hey, thank you very much for taking the time. Now, I know this is your busy time of year. and I, Before mm-hmm. we get to this draft, I want to ask you a question. You've kind of become, in, uh, over the last decade really, the sort of ESPN international draft pick guy. How did that
1: come about? <laughs> Nobody else wanted to do it. Uh, in fact, I think it's, it's always amusing to me. I know the college guys much better than I do the international guys. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to do the Combine uh, in Chicago. But I also took an interest uh, uh, when, during my coaching career uh, in international basketball. I happened to have a player on my team at Manhattan College from Spain. Uh, it led to doing some speaking uh, engagements at coaching clinics in Spain and then some other places around Europe. And quite honestly, Matt, when I got to ESPN in 2003 – Uh, My boss, who knew I had an interest in international basketball, said, how'd you like to be our draft guy? You know, international draft, quote unquote, expert. And at the exact roughly same time that was going on, one of my former Manhattan players who played overseas and had become an NBA scout for the Dallas Mavericks uh, started running the uh, Reebok Euro Camp, which was basically a draft combine for international players, much like you have in Chicago. A little bit younger, a level of player, but I was the only non-NBA guy that coached at that camp for eight straight years, got to know a lot of people around the world, got to know the players, and uh, I'll be leaving tomorrow for my 13th trip to uh, Venice, Italy to go to EuroCamp, although I don't work the camp anymore, I just cover it for ESPN.
0: That's very cool. I mean that's, you know, for for a guy who you probably didn't see that in your future to kind of get to do all that. And the thing that I th- find interesting, and you tell me if I'm right, it feels like to me teams are a whole lot better at scouting these Euro guys. I remember back when you started, there'd be like this grainy, almost cell phone video of these people, (laughs) and we'd hear, well, he averaged six points a game in the Somalian League 5, and you'd go, well, why do you want to do that? But now I feel like they've gotten a lot better. Am I right about that?
1: Well, there's no question. The other thing that's gotten better is not only the evaluation of the players themselves, but also the evaluation of the level of play in Europe. And I have to be honest with you, I have to explain to my college friends all the time, like if you talk about uh, the best leagues in Europe, Spain, Greece, Germany, a, they actually are a whole level above what we would consider major college basketball. Okay? So So a guy averaging 10 points a game in a Spanish ACB league as a 20 year old, that's like averaging 25 in the SEC or the big 10. And so you, teams, to your point, and it's, it's a great point, teams are much more suited now to evaluate not only the level of play of a, of a, let's say a European player, but also the, uh, the level of the league they're playing in. And I would put it this way, uh, the sec and the big 10, big 12, that's double a baseball compared to the major leagues, the NBA, the highest levels in Europe, that's like triple a. Gotcha. So, you know, you can be a great prospect in double a, uh, but just because you average 17 at a Kentucky or a Kansas doesn't automatically make you a potential NBA star, if that makes sense.
0: Well, let me ask you this then, because I'm always I'm I'm somebody fascinated by sort of inefficiencies in processes. Mm-hmm. There are so many people in this world, and yet, and sometimes people go, why do they pick so many international guys in the draft. I almost would make the opposite case, which is of the 60 guys that will be picked, probably 45, 40 to 45 will be college guys. It would seem like that's a disproportionate amount from America. So should they pick more kids overseas?
1: No, I don't think so. I think it's right. Like I've got 13 guys pegged uh, that I would take in the first 60 picks, okay, international kids. So that's roughly a quarter, and that's really pretty much – Uh, The same proportion, uh, you know, roughly to what started, like to start the NBA season last November, there were 100 international players from 37 countries of the 450 guys that were on NBA rosters. So it's about a quarter to a fifth of the league. And that's probably proportional to where the draft is. Keep in mind also, Matt, when you take an international guy, in the first or second round, you don't have to bring them over right away. That's
0: true. Exactly. And that that's a big decision. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so a lot of times, like a team like Philadelphia or Boston has got multiple picks in the first round this year. They don't want three rookies on the team. Uh, uh, You know, let's say three college guys. They're more likely in, in the 20s to take a guy that we call a draft and stash. So maybe it's a kid. Let's say it's a seven foot one uh, Ivica Zubac from Croatia. My guy. Who's, yeah, 19, 20 years old, big body, kind of a young Marcus Saul type. Really not ready for a team right now. But you can draft him with your 28th pick, let's say, if you're Toronto. I think they picked 28th off the top of my head. And then you know you can leave him in Europe, hopefully get him with a club that you have a relationship with where you know he's going to be coached and let him marinate over there for a couple of years. That's not quite the same when you draft a college kid who automatically thinks he can play in a league and doesn't really want to go overseas. And he's likely to sign with a team and then you have to put him in the D League. And by the way, you got to keep them on your salary cap. Yeah, man. exactly. To,
0: that's that, that's a big part of it. First that's round. a big part of it, yeah. too,
1: yep, with the contract situation with the teams.
0: Yeah, you know, last question, and then we'll get to college stuff. But did, uh-huh. are there any guys out there – I remember when I was a kid, you'd always hear about that Oscar Schmidt that was in Brazil, and there were these yeah. random people that didn't come to the NBA – are there are there any guys out there playing in Europe who are not young? So I'm talking yeah. 24, 25 and older who could play over here that just choose not to that are great? Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. Why There's don't sure, they uh, come here? Well, you know what? I, first of all, I can't think of anybody that I would say if you took them out of the European leagues and put them in the NBA that they would be a superstar. But there are definitely guys who have made a great living in Europe but a guy that comes to mind that you'd have to be a real basketball junkie to know is Miloš Teodosic Ooh,
0: from Serbia.
1: Yes. Now He's probably 28 or 29 right now. I'm guessing he makes three, four million a year tax-free playing in Russia. Um, is, you know, anytime he's played against teams in the United States, he's held his own. Uh, he's a little bit out in left field and he's not a great defender. So, uh, but there are guys like that. They just choose to, you know, stay in their comfort zone, uh, be stars in their own, you know, environments, and um, and you know, live a live the life of a king, really. But more often than not, the young international players, particularly the Europeans, they get the word back from friends, uh, you know, who are playing in the NBA. Hey, you charter your flights. They give you one hundred and thirty dollars a day meal money. Every game is packed. You don't have to go on a commercial flight. So those kids, by and large, want to get to the NBA, if, if, if at all possible. I
0: want to interrupt just a second to talk about touchofmodern.com. Touch of Modern, by now you've heard all about it. It is a website that has all kinds of cool gadgets. Tony Vanetti came up to me and said he ordered, ordered three things from it after our last podcast. The Touch of Modern is making their money just off of Vanetti. If you download the app, You can then see whatever the deals are of that day. Every time I go on it, I find new interesting things that I go, I did not even know this existed. For instance, right now, I just opened it. A portable fish finder. Wouldn't you like that? When you go fishing, you can know right here, sharp swimwear and underwear from AGK. Don't even know what that is, but that's got to be great. How about a natural lampshade? gotta like lampshades, maybe surf in, uh, surf inspired apparel. They have that and a lot more and maybe a handcrafted ping pong paddle. All of those things and more at touchofmodern.com. It is like the kind of doodad's place, but high end cool gear. Go check it out at Touch of Modern. Now let's get back to it. All right, let's talk about this draft. Uh, it seems like it's the consensus is built around Simmons, Ingram, probably
1: in that order. If, yep. if you is that what you would do if you if you were those teams? I would have done that in November, and I wouldn't have changed. Uh, to me, Ben Simmons, uh, and and believe me, the Sixers have done their homework. The Lakers. Uh, teams are trying to figure out what went wrong. What was what 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 was the chemistry like in in Baton Rouge this year? What do you think went wrong? Well, I just don't think they. Uh, I, you know, personally, from what I've been told, I think there was a little animosity or jealousy, if you will, uh, ironically on the part of some of his teammates. Which is which I say ironically because you're not going to find a more t- team-oriented guy, uh, you know, maybe in college basketball this past year than Ben Simmons. Uh, because of the way he passed the ball, but uh, you know, I I don't want to de- uh, I don't want to I don't want to betray any confidences. But uh, in talking to teams that have the the couple highest picks, let's say I, I think it's a a done deal, a given that Ben Simmons is going number one. And here's the breakdown, Matt. Uh, because of his unique ability at six foot ten to rebound the ball and to pass it, and and he's a gifted athlete in a league that values speed right now. Uh, and spacing, he's, he's ideal because he's one of those guys, as you know, can rip and run and then you know, grab a rebound, take off, run the break, and throw a no-look pass for a dunk.
0: Do you worry about his shooting?
1: I worry about it a little bit, but I think if you, take, if you keep, in, keep, in, uh, keep in mind that he shot 67% from the line, uh, we're not talking Dwight Howard, you know, uh, uh, DeAndre Jordan. I, if I were coaching him, and again, Johnny Jones is a friend, But I would have demanded that kid take 15, 18 shots every game. Uh, If anything, I thought he was way too unselfish. Oh, I agree with that, yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, yes, is he he more comfortable passing and driving it, scoring around the basket? He is. But uh, I think the shooting can come along. I don't know if he's going to be a great shooter. But uh, we said the same thing about LeBron, and I'm old enough to remember Magic as well. Uh, and again, not to say he's in their class, but uh, you know what? He's a six foot ten Rondo. How's that? that you know bad. that
0: I, I like that. A lot of people <laughs> had said maybe like a Lamar Odom early yes. in his career. You Absolutely. Know. Yeah.
1: Yep. I, and I think if you take, uh, you know, if you just minus some of Lamar's off the court stuff because he's a great guy, minus some of the you know the issues he ha- he got himself into. If you knew Ben Simmons was going to have a Lamar Odom type of career, you'd, you'd, you'd take, take that as, as the baseman yeah. and then go from there. All
0: right. It looks like the draft then kind of gets going at number three. And, and, and it seems to me in looking at everything, you've got Bender, you've got the kid at Washington, you've got Jamal Murray, Buddy Hield, Chris Dunn, Jalen Brown, those six guys yep. kind of in, in, in the next group. How do you think it'll go? But maybe more importantly, how would you pick them out of that
1: group? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, you, you got you got a lot of you got a lot of variety there because you know, right off the bat, you got a kid like Buddy Heald who's 22. Who had a magnificent year? Uh, full disclosure: my son played with him for three years, so I got to know him well. Seems like a great uh, kid, is he? Great kid, more of a one-trick pony, but the trick is, you know, the trick is incredible, and that's the, you know, incredible shooting and scoring. Uh, whereas Jamal Murray, you're talking about a 19-year-old kid who can play both the one and the two. I think that's going to be the big thing for teams right in that area. And let me let me, let me me back up for a second and tell you that Dragan Bender is not poor Zingus, but he's a very good prospect, and you're going to have to be a little patient with him. And your your team's coaching staff is going to have to grab him from day one and start to mold him into the type of player that that they want him to be. And it's going to be likely a stretch format. But when you compare Buddy and Jamal Murray, now you're asking yourself, do we want the 22-year-old? who's been absolutely unbelievable this year or do you want the 19 year old who also had a great season you know 20 points a game uh can play both spots some questions about his ability to handle you know handle and get into traffic as a point guard i watched i watched jamal in the pan am games last summer for a week in person he was fabulous so uh, those two guys and, and Chris Dunn, I think, is where it really is going to be interesting in 3, 4, 5, 6.
0: So you wouldn't, Jaylen, take, you wouldn't take Brown or the Washington kid over those guys?
1: Well, I, I'm a fan of Marquise Chris, I have to tell you. I think the upside is absolutely through the roof. I know nothing um, about him. Why has
0: why yeah, he, so, why is he risen so much?
1: Okay, well, first of all, let me just, you know, let me put it this way. He hasn't risen with NBA teams. Okay. He's, he's risen with the 1,000 mock draft guys.
0: Gotcha, okay? gotcha, okay.
1: And so I had one NBA team tell me at the end of the Pac-12 tournament that they had him slotted at fifth. And what's happened is, as people really start to study Marquise Chris, you're looking at an 18-and-a-half-year-old kid, probably the best athlete in this draft. I mean, we're talking superhuman jumping ability. And then an improved shot 43% behind the arc in his last 11 games. You're looking at a potential young Paul George. And so that's why his stock has risen. Jalen Brown scares me because although he's a, a a great athlete, bull in a China shop, Stanley Robinson type, uh, the shooting percentages are woeful and you're going to have to build his game up from scratch. So, you know, I think the big question is going to be in the, in the first, three uh you know three four five six seven is where do those guards who would you take three three i'm taking i I, i'm leaning towards chris dunn okay if if his shoulder is is absolutely fine with my team doctors because he's had two shoulder surgeries and i'm going chris dunn because i think he's got a chance to be an all-star and then i have to tell you at four Remember now, if you're four and you're Phoenix, you're probably not taking a two guard.
0: You're not going to take Murray, but let's say you, did, you weren't. Would you take Murray?
1: I'd give it a, a long, hard consideration between Murray and Heald, and I'd weigh the upside of Murray versus the production right now of Buddy Heald. Yeah. So, not so you and I are on out. the same
0: pa- page. I would yeah. go, I would go done three, Murray four, Heald five, Bender six, because I don't know anything about the Washington kid. Right. Is
1: right. that, seem- with you. are you with me? Okay. I'm with you on that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, now again, keep in mind, if you're Denver at seven, you got this plethora of young, big guys, but you need a shooter to go with Emmanuel Moutier. So that's where Murray and Heald are if they fall. And it's, it's, it's conceivable that one of those guys could fall to seven.
0: I'd love to see Minnesota get Murray there at five. I just think him and town, Ta- he'd be a good match with Towns and, and Wiggins, et cetera. But. And, and
1: keep in mind that Ricky Rubio, who we haven't really talked about much, is coming off his best year. Yeah. Uh, as a six foot five point guard, who would love to play with a shooter to space the floor with the two guys you mentioned Wiggins right, and Towns. I
0: know you got to go so real quick give me Scal and Tyler your quick take on them as as prospects and where you and about where you think they'll go.
1: Well, I think before these workouts and I haven't seen any of Scal's workouts I would have had him pegged between 18 and 23 on long-term potential. Now, given the fact that he's working out for everybody and and the fact that I believe he's really more of a stretch four than he was you know, trying to replicate Anthony Davis. It wouldn't shock me if he moves up into the late lottery, but I have him pegged somewhere around 20. And I have Tyler Ewis right in the same ballpark, maybe a little lower. I, I, I can make the argument that Tyler Ewis was the best pure point guard in college basketball last year, but I still have to overcome in my mind the fact that 5'9 is a real outlier in that league. So is he going in the first round? Likely he is. Can he be effective? Absolutely. But, you know, to me, my NBA antenna tells me, you know, 22 down to 28. All right,
0: so if you're, if you're the GM, let's say you need both positions. It's not a pick of need. And yep. Tyler's on the board and Scal's <laughs> on the board. Who are you taking?
1: Now, you got me, Matt. You're going to have half of – <laughs> No, no, this is a debate man. I
0: have on my show, yep. and I think, it's, I think it <laughs> of, often says a lot about how you look at the NBA in terms yes. of what you pick here.
1: Well, and you have to keep in mind now, you know, you're not always picking for need, especially where they're going to be picked. You're sometimes picking for long-term potential. So in all honesty, Matt, I can make the argument for, see, I believe Tyler Uless will be a 10-year minimum backup point guard in the league. Minimum. Uh, Now, can he start? We'll see. But he's definitely going to be in the league a long time. So then you have to weigh, okay, so we know we got here but with Scal do we have a potential star and can he fill out and i think that's what you do that's what these teams are doing the next 3 weeks
0: i love scal so, as a kid friend but i don't see yep. it man i mean i know he can shoot he's got good yep. footwork but how hard is it to rebound and he could well, how hard is it to rebound you know and i mean let me
1: tell, yeah let me tell you another thing i i watched about scal almost all of his scoring this year was in the mid range those elbow yes, jump shots yes. and guess what they came off pick-and-roll situations uh, with who handling the ball? Tyler, yeah. Two, two first-round picks, Ulis and Murray, and more, more often Ulis than, than Murray. And I never really saw Scal, you know, uh, move into a shot without a pass from Ulis or Murray. Um, and I think if he has a strength right now, it's the perimeter jump shooting. And I don't know if you want to hang your hat on that if you're taking, like, let's say, 20 or or lower you know 20 to 15 to 10 so that's my concern with Scows, the body type and the fact that he, he doesn't do anything around the basket
0: Fran for shell espn thank you very much good stuff enjoy your trip to uh, venice there are worse places to go i'm sure Worse places
1: to go and then you'll see me on draft night thank you sir
0: father's day is almost here so i need to interrupt a second and tell you about omaha stakes Because if you've heard about Omaha Steaks, I've been talking about the Matt Jones meat package, and it's time. If Father's Day. It's two weeks. And if you order now, you can guarantee a gift your dad will like. If you go to Omaha Steaks, they have the best of everything. Bison, beef, seafood, poultry, pork, veal, lamb, whatever you want. And the meat package is there, $49.99. I'll say this again. Two filet mignons, two top sirloins, four chicken fried steaks, four pork chops, four burgers, four jumbo franks, 12 meatballs, steak fries, tartlets, and I'll throw in four more burgers free. It's 80% off if you use this deal. 80% off. OmahaSteaks.com, the promo code is Matt, $49.99. Just put in Matt, it comes up, you order the steaks. I don't know what else you want me to do. I can't make it any easier for you. OmahaSteaks.com, promo code Matt. The Matt Jones meat package. It's what everybody wants. It's what everybody's talking about. Highest quality meats for Father's Day. Go to omahasteaks.com now. With that, let's get back to it. All right, now happy to be joined by our uh, favorite draft guru. Well, i got to be careful since I had Fran, too. We have two favorite draft gurus. We had Fran Shill on just a minute ago, and now Chad Ford from ESPN. Chad, how are you?
2: Good, good. How are you, Matt?
0: I'm doing great. Uh, we had you on earlier in the year to talk a little bit about the the draft, and and you know we've it's really not changed a whole lot since then. At least at the top, at the time when we spoke, it was like everybody goes, okay, well we're definitely Ben Simmons is number one. But then and maybe this happens all the time, then it becomes the case. Well, maybe Ingram can go number one. Now that happened last year, and Carl Towns passed Okafor, and it ended up I think being the right pick. Is Ingram going to pass Simmons or is Simmons one?
2: Simmons is going to be one, and and I, I think that was a very, very different case with uh, Okafor, just a very established, he was the number one high school player in his class and 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 just had this long, long track record where Towns really had some things that he had to prove at Kentucky, and he proved them, and I guess he did that throughout the season, it just became... Apparent that there was much more upside to Carl Anthony Towns than there was to Okafor and you sort of had that season to see him improve especially his low post game and what have you here I, I think it's been Simmons from day one it will end up being Simmons on draft night this I, I believe strongly the Sixers will take him number one and while Ingram really helped his cause this year uh, and he had a really terrific season for Duke uh, I, I just think Simmons has that upside uh, that is very very difficult for another player to catch. Where Okafor had some real real challenges athletically, I think that that really limited his ceiling. Uh, that's just not the case with Simmons.
0: You know the what does that mean for Philadelphia? Do they trade Nerlens? Is that how they make that work? So it's not just all big guys there.
2: I, I actually think they're looking they're hoping that they can move Okafor because I think that they want to play fast. And I think that they look at uh, Nerland's Noel as a guy who can protect the rim and rebound. And that was really hurt in his progress last year of having to figure out how to play on the floor uh, with Okafor. And then you can put Simmons at the four Simmons at the three, you know, he's, he's such a great ball handler. I I really, you know, we talked about, Oh, he's a great ball handler for a guy his size but he's just a great ball handler I think he's one of the best passing uh players in the draft that I've seen in the last decade and I I think that the Sixers will just have to figure out how to do it it's a perfect game for him because you know there's not huge expectations Brett Brown's a a creative coach Brett Brown knows his dad and 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 knew uh, him in Australia and I think that they'll figure this out and I think that that's a better fit than putting uh, Okafor on the floor, and you know they have Embiid and they, they have some other options. So I think that if they can move Okafor and get value for him, they will, and and some of that might include trying to get back up and, and you know pick three, four, five, six in this draft uh, to get a guard. Because obviously, it's their backcourt where they have the biggest needs.
0: All right, so I'm going to play a little devil's advocate on Ben Simmons for a second. Now we did you and I talked the last time about his attitude his teammates not liking let's put that aside because you know we we talked about that last time but just as a player in the modern NBA I keep getting told that you have to be able to shoot now I think that's probably the case but but it may be a little overblown by by Golden State's success but I look around and I try to find a player like him all right and you and I discussed Lamar Odom but Lamar Odom could always shoot and I can't think of a guy who came out of college with this much hype who simply could not shoot that would go number one. And not just, I mean, I know he shoots 67% from the line, but I, but I see a broke jumper everywhere but the line. Tell me, how does a guy who just looks like he has a broken jumper become a superstar, which is what you'd like the number one pick to be?
2: Well in, in the in the modern NBA, you're you're probably right. It's a little bit harder. I mean, the two comps that that come to mind and and both of these I think are unfair to Sim because they're they're all time greats, or Magic Johnson couldn't shoot coming out of college. Okay. And yeah. and uh, and and really LeBron was not a great shooter coming out. Uh, of um, his, uh, out, of, out of high school, I think he shot 28% from three uh, his rookie year. But wouldn't the counter uh, to that be
0: that those two guys came, and I know LeBron just played in high school, but they won. Then he's got the added wrinkle of he hasn't won anything. He, he
2: hasn't, and look, I, I think it's fair to ask the questions. But, you know, a couple of things stand to mind. If you, to, if you want to look at a player that had some success this year, um, that does a lot of the things that Simmons does and can't shoot a lick. Uh, look at Giannis Antetokounmpo, yeah. uh, out, out of, out of hockey. the guy was putting up that double doubles yep. and, and he can't shoot. Uh, not only can he not shoot threes, he can't shoot mid range jumpers either. I think during that spell where he's putting up the, those, uh, four triple doubles in 11 nights or 11 games or whatever, I think he shot 24% from the field, uh, in those, in those games and on, on his jumpers. And, uh, I think that it's a big deal that that he's not a good shooter. I, I just was in Cleveland. I watched him work. I think that, first of all, it's a little tough to have a great field uh, for him as a shooter, in part because he didn't shoot it very often at LSU. He, he was very reluctant to shoot the ball. And I think he only took three three-pointers the entire season. And, and part of that, and I talked with him about it. I mean, part of that was he could get to the basket. And uh, he was actually really good at doing it, and it was a much higher percentage shot. And he also is a passer and, and sort of looks that way. And I, I think for Simmons, those were the more efficient basketball plays to make. Uh, he knows he needs to work on the shooting. He's been in Cleveland for the last two months, and I have to give the kid credit here. Where a lot of young players, they they play around a little bit after the season's over. They like to, you know they like to start. Lifestyle and all of those different things. Simmons has been in Cleveland of all places. Yeah, for the why last Cleveland? Why is he there? Uh, he's there because his agent Rich Paul. Is okay, he's there. You, he's, yeah. he's on Team LeBron, and and but he's been getting even showing up at those uh, you know at those workouts and those gyms. And I mean, you know, watching him work out. I didn't think his jumper was broken anymore. I don't think he's a great shooter, uh, but I didn't think it was broken. I think that he's got to get more confidence in it, and I think it's one ask. And David Thorpe and I talk a lot about this. It's one of the few things actually. That there's a track record of guys actually being able to improve uh in the NBA. a lot of things if if you can't do it by the time you get to the nba you're never going to do it but i think shooting is actually one where we've players um in the past past make made huge, huge strides so the question is does he have work ethic and and i think he does i think he's driven i i think this whole the body language why did he lose i mean there's so many complicated answers to all that. But I know this, he would have made the tournament if he went to Kentucky. Yeah, and, I,
0: and but <laughs> okay, so that gets to my other point which is not to you know, and I'm not trying to to say everybody's got to go to Kentucky. But I just feel like he is a poster boy for why, if you're great, you should go to Kentucky, Duke, or Kansas, right? Like, you should go to one of those schools. Because if he did, I don't think any of these discussions would have happened. I think his endorsement deals would be bigger. If he had been Ben Simmons at Kentucky or Duke, would these issues still plague him? Not at all.
2: No, not, not absolutely not at all. And not only that, he would have had much better players to pass. Exactly, yeah. He, he would have had stronger coaches who would have understood how to use him and been able to hold his team in line which never happened at LSU and you saw guys that were Inferior players just chucking up shots at LSU, uh, you know, all the time with with Simmons there on the floor. There, there would have been a lot of differences. And and before we go and say, well, Ben Simmons then must have a some sort of character flaw that he didn't realize that he should have went to Kentucky, Duke, or or Kansas. You, you got to remember these are you know, seven, he, no, he yeah, they hired his, seventeen years old, and they hired his and,
0: stepdad or whatever. So yeah, like he hired his know.
2: stepdad, and and you've got family, and you've got advisors, you've got all these different things and you know you're you're 17 years old when you're making this decision and uh yeah i think in retrospect would he go back and pick kentucky or or duke or or kansas yeah i think you would and i don't think we'd be even having this conversation uh right now and uh and so, look—that's—that's—that's—that's that's, that's, that's a big deal to say. Okay, he made a mistake as a seven-year. Oh yeah, yeah, Listen yeah. to his stepfather. You no, know, I understand. Uh, man, so he shouldn't be the number one. But pick they in should. Draft.
0: If I'm Mike Shashevsky and John Calipari, I would go up because there was a lot of kids in this class that turned them down more than usual. Actually, you're Malik Newman, Steven Zimmerman, uh, Jalen Brown, et cetera. And I would probably go and sort of look at what happened with all those kids and say what were you all thinking? <laughs> you know, like, what, like a kid like Scal, and let's talk about Scal for a second. I mean, Scal did nothing at Kentucky and could still, is, can he play his way into the top 10, Chad? I mean, is that possible?
2: I do think it's possible. I mean, it's, it's a great example. If, if Scal had gone to LSU uh, and played the way he played at Kentucky, um, his draft stock would have been decimated absolutely decimated the same way newman's uh draft stock was decimated by by going to mississippi state exactly. the fact the fact that he stayed at kentucky that he played at kentucky has meant at least he's going 20 spots higher than he would have if he'd had the same season uh anywhere else that that might even be the stronger argument than vincent vincent's Simmons. still gonna go number one yeah no he is some so people is. are gonna some people are gonna be able to say hey vincent survived all day still number one but Skull's the guy that I, if I was John Calipari, I'd walk around and say, this, this kid can not even play for me. <laughs> uh, and he's, he's going in the top 10. And that would not have been true um, at another SEC school. It just would not have been true. All
0: right, so I made a bet back in December before his his season had collapsed. There's a guy here in town who's terrible on the radio that I think is awful, and I make fun of him, and I said, if if Scal doesn't go in the top ten, I will listen to one of his shows start to finish and live blog it. Well, I thought for most of the year I was going to have to listen, but you're telling me he might sneak in the top ten? I mean, what is his highest ceiling? Seven to Denver maybe?
2: seven to denver look right there seven to denver strong possibility toronto at nine toronto has the 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 flexibility in some ways because of where they are already as a team to go ahead and take a risk on a guy like that and messiah Ujiri is exactly the type of gm that will be opportunistic and say look this kid had he had another year uh, they also need a power forward. They also need a guy that can stretch the floor. Actually, Skull fits actually some needs for them as well. And then Milwaukee at 10, I also think this is another place uh, where you could see that they need some athleticism. They big that could stretch the floor a bit that fit there. And then, you know, Orlando's right there at 11, and he also seemed a great fit there. I mean, when you look, when you have those four teams between 7 and 11 uh, that, that actually could use Skull and you can make the argument for it, it's hard for me to see all four of them. Passing, especially when there just isn't this really compelling talent at that point in the draft that he's really competing against.
0: Yeah, I, that, uh, I don't want eleven. I need seven, eight, or ten. I want one of those three for my man, so I don't have to listen to Ramsey's awful show. Now, uh, Jamal Murray. When we talked back in, I guess February. Uh, you, you sort of – we talked about Murray versus Brown, and I think you said at that point that you, you might slightly go Brown over Murray because of athleticism. Then the year played out. Murray had a huge year. I sort of sense that he is in this group that includes Bender, Chris Dunn, the kid from Washington, and and Buddy Hield and and I guess Brown. In that group sort of fighting for picks three through six, seven, Am I right about that? And would you still – where would you slot Murray now? Has it changed at all for you?
2: Um, yeah, I can't, I, can't, I can't totally recall our conversation. You just said, well, that, we that,
0: went Murray versus Brown and healed. Did we? And you ranked, yeah. I think, Brown one, Murray two, healed three uh, based on upside. And I just wondered if that would have changed it all for you.
2: Well, I, I think upside, Jalen Brown – is a is a freak i'm not sure that he has the you know third must-up side of anybody in the draft now you could argue marquis might actually be that guy uh but you know brown's athleticism nba body is, is so intriguing and obviously that's something that that jamal necessarily bring to the table at least the athleticism uh he's number three in our big board right now and i and i you know that we'll have one more big board before the draft so that could change. He's kind of in a dogfight with Chris Dunn. I think is is probably the closest. Is thing that I'm for that Boston? Pick? Is that
0: like them yeah, for,
2: yeah for for Boston, and then again at Minnesota. I mean, both of those teams uh, will take serious look at both of those guys and can make the argument either way. And they're they're just such different prospects, right? Uh, Murray is a terrific shooter and a terrific scorer and is obviously doing something at a younger age that was able to do. Dunn is a better defender. He's a better athlete. He's more of a pure point guard uh, than Murray is. And they're just very different flavors. But I think two things lean Murray. One is the shooting uh, which is really, really important. And you look at Minnesota and Boston; that's something both teams desperately need, as well as New Orleans, there at six. And the second thing is the positional versatility—the ability that Murray has to play both the yeah. one and the two. That's when, when you talk, what NBA teams are looking for right now. Uh, you know, shooting—it's very in vogue right now. They want shooting. There's so many teams that are desperate for shooters. Positional versatility is another huge buzzword—the ability to have all sorts of mix and match lineups on the floor. Coaches more and more love that, so that they can they can show several different looks. And you know, I think another thing that um, you know, the, another thing actually—one of the things that screams Simmons number one—and if you're watching this playoff series. Uh, you'll see it, and if you watched even Oklahoma City um, and why they lost to the Warriors, you'll see it, is passing ability. Players that can really pass and move the ball. It's The Warriors just aren't great shooters. They have a number of guys on the floor, whether it's Iguodala or Draymond Green or Clay Thompson, it's not just Steph Curry, that are really great passers uh, for their position and can really move the ball and make the right decision with the ball. And I think that's something... Uh, That is also very hard to find in the league and one of the reasons that Simmons is such an attractive candidate. And I think it's something that Jamal Murray brings to the table as well. We didn't get to see a ton of it uh, at Kentucky, but I've watched him in the hoop summit for a couple of years. I've watched him. I think he has a really great feel uh, for the game and I think he's going to be a really good passer in the league.
0: Yeah, all right. I hope you're right about that. I love Jamal Murray, and I would take him third, but I've seen way too many two-on-one breaks where my guy tries to dunk on the dude instead of passing it. Uh, maybe he'll develop that, though, because I do think he has a high basketball IQ, and is that something – I never hear that really brought up, but that to me is something – when I watch Golden State, I feel like all of those guys know where to be, how to play, and some guys, I don't care how good they are, they never pick that up. Does that matter? I mean, obviously it matters to teams, but does that is that something that has grown in importance in the draft recently or no?
2: Yeah, again, it's and again the league will shift, right? Yeah, um, there's a couple years ago that every wanted to wrestle a wrestle rest that was the guy they're after and you know and uh, and now everybody wants steph curry or they want clay thompson or draymond green is another really hot name you know everybody wants a draymond green and uh exactly i mean it is something that i think he carries with him that that he has as much or as anybody in this draft, it's another thing that Simmons carries with him. Yeah. That I think when you watch him on the floor, if there's one thing that really stands out about Simmons is, Simmons is how he sees the floor, how yeah, he, he sees the game. And uh, and that's a huge, huge, huge plus, again, because I think these are things that are hard to teach. The sort of instinct, that feel for the game, that sort of knowledge and understanding of the game. You know, Jamal Murray, the the son of a coach, Uh, And so he's been schooled in that game for a long time. And I think it shows up on the court and and, yeah, whether I don't know where he'll go. I think he'll go three, five, or six in the draft. I think those are probably the three likely um, landing points for Murray. And you know, with the Celtics, it's they, they could go a million directions. Uh, they have so many things that they're very hard to pay. Any you know?
0: chance they trade Okafor? Like they, they part of that Okafor trade that, that that they then trade it, and so that they get the they give up the third pick and, and get Okafor. I,
2: I don't. I just. I don't think so. I, I know. I know the Celtics went after Okafor uh, last year at the trade deadline. I think that they were trolling for what they thought might be a fire sale with Okafor getting in trouble, and and that they I, I don't think they they certainly didn't offer what turned out to be the three pick after Philadelphia then. And I, again, I think the way the league is changing and and how he's old school, play. right?
0: Like you don't want Okafor, yeah. do you? I mean, what's he? What is? He? I mean, I know he's good, but he's like an old NBA player
2: really is. And I, and I think a lot of teams just don't want that, which now somebody will get smart. I think actually there might be a team that will try to counter program everything else in the league. And it is true that with more and more teams getting away from centers, Okafor should be able to, at, you know, on, a, on the right team, might be able to have a heyday uh, down in the post because fewer and fewer teams actually have. Uh, you know centers that that really can handle his strength and and his skill in the post, but he's such a defensive liability. Uh, he doesn't stretch the floor. He can't shoot free throws. Uh, there's there's a lot of issues with Okafor. I think that wouldn't have been a problem a decade ago, but are a problem. Yeah, a fifteen
0: day. years ago, he's the number one pick and a superstar. I mean, it's a, he's in a wrong the wrong time. All right, I, I know you got to go. So a couple quick questions. I, I want to ask you about what happened to Marcus Lee in the process. Not so much about him, but it was interesting. Now, he goes to the combine and some people said was the worst player at the combine and and I watched it and he just looked completely lost and, and, and so I, I wonder what you think a kid like that should have done. So he had I guess three options he could have stayed in the draft and then seen what happened could have come back to Kentucky he ends up transferring sitting out a year would he have been better off just not even doing the combine did he spoil himself not just this year but for the future as well
2: i think he did and uh i I look sites 2020 i understand why you want to go test the waters he got invited The combine, which means that at least there was some interest among NBA teams, or he wouldn't have been invited in the first place. And you know, that's the great thing about the combine is you can come in and prove people wrong, uh, or you can prove them right. And uh, and I think in Lee's case, all the fears that people had about him were exacerbated uh in in that combine uh for exactly what you said. He just continues to look like an athletic logo stick that doesn't really understand the game of basketball and doesn't really know what to do with himself out there and when you put that much talent on the floor like is there at the combine it becomes even more glaring and so look i i i get why he did this because obviously you've got a great class coming in again for kentucky and and the talent level, I think, at this point, I don't think a switch is going to is going to switch on in Marcus Lee, and he's going to be a superstar as a senior. He's not going to do what Buddy Heald did, uh, you know, this year and just you know, just blow up as a senior. And so I think he's he's hoping maybe to go to a place where he could be featured more, where he's not around as much talent and that maybe that will help him shine a little bit more but you know age is such a huge deal yes. uh, in the nba draft and him having to sit out a year uh, and then do that again Now, if he could have been a graduate transfer i would have actually said that was probably the perfect and he could have had him. he just
0: worked harder when he was here at school i mean that's another i feel bad for him he's a great kid but that i agree with you that's what he should have done but but if he goes to a team without talent isn't that sort of like the combine? Like, won't it make his deficiencies look even worse?
2: It, it might. I mean, he, he clearly thinks he's an NBA player, and most, most guys do, believe it or not. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's
1: hundreds and hundreds yeah. of
2: college players that are convinced that they're NBA players, and they're angry at me and everybody else that doesn't have them ranked as such. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's, that's his thinking. I, I think his best shot would, to me... Given where he is as a player, I think his best shot would have been to come back to Kentucky, try to win a national championship, and and be happy with that. Yeah. Uh, and you know, know that he's going to probably be able to play professionally overseas, probably not in an elite European league, but you know, somewhere and make money uh, doing that. And that, to me, probably was the better path. I, I think the NBA path. I'd be really surprised if he ever ends up wearing an NBA jersey.
0: All right, uh, Tyler Ulys what, about 20th? Is that where he goes?
2: Yeah, I think like 14 to 25. The hard thing with Tyler is everybody loves him, but there are a lot of teams that positional size is a huge, huge part of what they think about when they draft, and obviously he's majorly deficient in that area, and they just won't touch him. It's not about whether they like him as a basketball player or don't like him as a player. They just are committed to trying to draft positional size And Tyler doesn't have it. So he's one of the unusual prospects that there's just teams that you just have to scratch off the board right away because, you know, they they won't draft a 5'10 point guard. And and I think on top of that, you know, he was in in L.A. and he did a workout there and, you know, he's never going to look as good. In the workouts as he does in a five-on-five basketball unfortunately yeah that's that's that that's where he's going to have his strength and right now he's in a bad situation he's going to be going into these workouts he's going to be going against other point guards sort of one-on-one who are usually going to be bigger and stronger and look more athletic than him and he's going to be able to show
0: what he's best his at deci-
2: yeah his decision making skills and all of that stuff and sort of those sort of settings and though teams should totally be aware of that and understand that it is really funny the psychological effect of coming into a workout and not look as good as as you, you know looked. what i've always
0: thought on that point chad i've always thought that there was obviously something good about bringing kids there. But then I did wonder if sort of recency bias and all that could work against it. I've often wondered if you just had no scouting at all. Like like you just read Chad Ford and you followed all the information on the internet and you just picked who you kind of are supposed to in that slot, what would happen? Because I sometimes wonder if it's almost death by too much information at times. Does that make any sense?
2: yeah you know it's it's interesting and i wish i wish i had um i wish i had all the details of that the, uh, the celtics told me one time that they just ran a simulation of just like the top 100 versus uh versus the actual draft order and that the cons- and, and remember like my top 100 is a consent of talking to lots of nba guys yes it's not my scouting it's not yours. genius exactly it's, it's not my scouting genius where yes i correctly predicted that this guy would be the best player or whatever it's it's a 100% polling nba scouts and gms and and typically the wisdom of the crowd it beats the, yeah. the wisdom of an of indiv- indiv- of an individual office and um and people wonder why scouts talk to me that's why they talk to me is because they actually are wanting to what everybody else is also saying. Exactly. I and mean, they're trying they're they're trying to get a gauge for that because I think some people sort of understand that. And yes, recency bias comes in. You know the other things that happen is head coaches typically aren't following the whole season because they're way busy uh, to follow the draft, and owners typically aren't following things; they're way too busy uh, to be following the draft. But then they show up at these workouts, and they fall in love with a lot people. Of, yeah, yeah, and they, they fall in love with people, or they're like, "Are you kidding? Taking this kid? This kid was awful uh, in this thing, right? Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't want it." And it makes it makes a difference. And I think the other thing I think GMs wish. Is that they could take head coaches and ownership out of this altogether and leave it to scouts that have seen these kids dozens and dozens of times. But that's just not realistic. Head coaches have voices and matters mike brown famously was the guy who was stumping in the war room that night for anthony bennett um and you know <laughs> he he'd had, he had seen him at unlv um when his kid was recruited out there and, and and fell in love with him and and uh you know you've got owners all the time you have Vivek veck who was stumping for nick stauskas in the, oh, Kings, yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in the Kings' uh, um, war room that night. And, you know, general managers, we, we, we hammer general managers when they get it wrong Is a lot of the times it wasn't totally their call.
0: That's interesting. I think you should – I'm, I'm going to say to teams, hire me and I'll just do like what the masses think, and I guarantee you we'll do better than at least some of the teams. Last question, I know you haven't dived into next year totally, but you at least got to see the McDonald's, All-Stars, all that stuff any couple guys that you look at like next year's class top two or three guys and you go okay they look to be the early leaders
2: well i think josh jackson out of kansas is the guy that just really stood out to me um he reminds me in some ways uh, a lot of michael kidd gilchrist in that just how hard he plays his his two-way ability just just this guy that is everywhere on the court all of the time. The difference with him is that I think he's a better offensive player than Michael Kidd-Gilchrist coming into college. He's a little better shooter and just a, a little bit more sophisticated offensively than he is. Uh, and, and and I think that there's a lot of start there for him. I mean, he's a guy that really stands out uh, to me as being um, a, a guy that I think might have the best shot of being the number one pick Harry Giles. Obviously we have to see how he comes back and how he really, ad- to, um, adapts the thing. Um, and adapts to coming back from the injury but he's the best low post player in this draft and I think he would have been the consensus uh, number one guy had he not torn his ACL and then Marco Fultz out of Washington is I like a guy that, that I kid I, a lot
0: that kick, that yeah kick, that I, I, th- I think up.
2: he's a sleeper uh, and, and I'll tell you what man what what would Washington have been uh, if they had Marquise Chris and DeJounte Murray who I think is one of the most underrated players in this draft if they'd had all th- three of those guys is Lorenzo Romar
0: uh, still coaching them they- nothing. That's what they would have been. <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, and so it's interesting in that, you know, Kentucky has, I think some some analysts have them ranked as the top recruiting class. Some of them have Duke uh, as there. But it's interesting that, uh, you know, none of the, the top three, four or five guys are really Kentucky players. It's more, I think, the strength of the class overall. Yeah, they've got guys uh, like
0: six through 15. They've got five, four guys that are like six through 15.
2: Yeah, and I like the Aaron Fox a lot. I think as, as far as the players that Kentucky's recruited, that have the best chance of being a really good NBA player, I, I think he's the guy uh, that that teams focus so, on. See, I and thought you were going to say
0: Bam. You 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 take Fox over Bam for the NBA?
2: They're just uh, you know, look, I haven't finished all of my research yet gotcha. for the top one hundred next year, but in talking to NBA teams, it definitely seems like Fox is in that like 4 to 8 range gotcha. and BAM's more in uh, 8 to 15 range gotcha. uh, just from talking to teams.
0: All right. Well Chad hey thank you very much. Uh, this will be the last time we get to talk to you before the draft. I know this is a busy couple weeks and thank you for uh, giving the time.
2: Alright take care. Thank you sir.